I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Suspected human remains and hiking boots found during the search for two young Dutch women have been confirmed to have belonged to the girls. Two different types of shoes and bones were found last Thursday. The search team stepped up efforts to find the girls who disappeared while hiking in Panama. A backpack belonging to the young women was first discovered by a local resident earlier this month. After DNA tests were carried out, the identity of one of the bones was confirmed. Lisana Froon, age 22, and Chris Kremiers, age 21, reportedly went missing on the 1st of April after setting out on a hike. The girls were in Panama studying Spanish and were reported missing by their host families. to I Could Murder a Podcast, episode number eight of series seven. No, the other way around. Hello and welcome to episode seven of series eight. We are back once again. We are in your ears. I'm delighted to say I'm sitting opposite. Well, just behind them. Producer Dan. Oh. Uh, how are you, Tom? How are you doing? Sorry, just Good. enjoying a lovely peppermint tea. I don't like the sound of that. I hope there's no sort of sufferers of misophonia. Is that the official term, is it? I believe so. What, people that eat like bastards and people don't like it. Hey. People don't like loud breathers, swallowers, biters, chewers. I think my wife has that. I think I've got it. Uh, and, and obviously you'll recognise those tones. Um, the one who knows about the illnesses is Ben Carter. <coughs> hello, hello. You're delighted to be in between, sort of rummaged between the, the pair of you. <laughs> I know it's not rummaged. You're the beef in the sandwich, aren't you? I am the filling, yes. I beef. am the filling. Sorry? Specifically beef. Yeah. yeah I'm rubbing the beef. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> How are we doing, boys? Are we all right? Beef ender. Oh, yeah. Beef ender, yeah. 
That was from a BTK maybe or something. But yeah, how are we doing, boys? Very, very well. Um, Bloody lovely. Yeah, all is, all is good, all is good. We're very excited to be back with a new case, and it's, it's a mystery. And we know a lot of people enjoy the mystery episodes, so very much looking forward to sharing it with you guys and seeing what you guys think. Yeah, it is a mystery indeed. It's a fascinating one. Uh, so much to go into in this week's case, but we also do very much hope that people enjoyed last week's episode, which was Mark Chopper Reed. Chopper. Uncle Chop Chop. We get get a lot of comments. Uncle Chop Chop. You watched the movie yet? No, definitely on my list though. Got to get through Stranger Things, start and finish it. I've I've got three of the Harry Potter movies down though. I've done that quite well. Okay, well done. It's all right so far. Well done for watching the kids film. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Really done well there. Uh, What else is on my list? Um, Ozark and The Last Man on Earth. I believe that's my current list. Okay, yeah, but this is a film. It's just an hour and a half. Whereas you have to watch all those up before you watch it because that's going to be a long time. But anyway, so this is a case that um, our very own Benjamin Carter picked. Uh, Do you want to give a little bit of a reason as to why you thought it would be one for the series? Yeah, well, we've seemed to have got a lot of different requests for this case over the last 12 months or so. And I uh, had ignorantly uh, assumed that it was a very recent case. I thought it was something that had happened kind of in in, in recent years, but it hasn't. It's almost a decade old at this point. But... I hadn't heard much about it until we started getting these requests and then I looked into it and thought, wow. And the more, again, like any good mystery, the more you dig into it, the more you find out and the more you want to know about it. And this is one like no other. There are some kind of uh, similarities to when we did the Yuba County 5 case, um, obviously in a very different environment and uh, set of circumstances, but it's uh, there's basically an entire community of people speculating as to what happened to these girls, how it happened, and there are like any other good mystery as well so many differing and conflicting beliefs and conspiracies Ooh. so it's it's an interesting one it's a very sad and upsetting one of course but yeah i am uh, i am very deep in that rabbit's hole in that rabbit hole right now in that rabbit's and, hole yeah in that rabbit hole oh jesus what was hedgehogs you liked yeah a lot of people have yeah called me hedgy carter Hedge your bets. Oh. Hoggy nonce. Hedge your butts. Yeah, hoggy nonce on Dan's phone. Yeah, hoggy nonce is a good one. He's just the stinger. Yeah, I like that, actually. Yeah, it's good. Proud of it. Baby emoji. So today's case is the case of the missing Dutch backpackers, the case of Chris Kremers and Lizanne Froon, the lost in the jungle conspiracies, mystery on the planet... Pananamian. Pananamian. Okay, everybody, listen up. Mystery on the Pananamian. No. Mystery on the Pananamian. Mystery on the Pananamian. No. Mystery on the Pananamian. Mystery on the Pananamian trail. I think that was. I think it was Mamian just then. You said it. Mystery on the Panamanian trail. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. The Lost Girls of Panama or the Puzzle of Panama. Um, probably going to stick with the missing Dutch backpackers there. I think that's safe. I hope you were safe when you were going down that rabbit's hole. Yeah, thank you. Um, but yeah, I've just realised as well, just clocked, it's our first time back in Panama since the uh, uh, the canoe man. Oh, yeah. We have got priors in this area. Yeah. Um, but yeah, fascinating case. And Panamanian priors. Yes. Yeah, Panamanian priors. That's absolutely. What I said. That's what I said. <laughs> that is what you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. We didn't we didn't make you say it because I said it so many times wrong. No, but, just yeah. testing the mic. Yeah. I've got a new mic. You sound fab, by the way. Thank, Thank you. you. It feels. Um, but yeah, this is yeah a super interesting case. Um, we're going to go through all the different theories and conspiracies, and uh, yeah, it's going to be a, a heck of an episode exploring them with you today. So strap yourself into your backpack. And we're going to get into the case. Tickle your fannies and get them wet enough for the penis to enter. We're going to get into this week's case. I'm keeping that in, Tom. Oh, keep, don't keep it in, Dan, unless you want to get me pregnant. Oh. 
So what we're going to do in this episode is go into a bit of a background on uh, the two ladies at the centre of this case before jumping into a, a, a brief description of the hike or the trek or the trail that they, they embarked upon and then going into a detailed timeline of events. But before we do that, we are going to throw to our wonderful producer Dan to set the scene. On the 1st of April 2014, in the lush, untamed jungles of Panama, Chris Kremers and Nazan Froon two adventurous young women from the Netherlands, set off on a thrilling journey seeking excitement and new experiences. They were hiking the El Pianista Trail in Boquete, a literal cloud forest known for its remarkable beauty, wildlife, elevated views of the jungle and its many river-mountain gorges. However, their dreams soon turned into a bewildering nightmare as they ventured into the darker depths of the jungle and seemingly vanished without a trace. With each passing day, the search for the missing duo unearthed puzzling clues. A backpack, a chilling series of erratic photographs, haunting phone calls, conflicting witness statements and cryptic notes left behind. As the world held its breath, whispers of sinister secrets and eerie encounters emerged, painting a gripping narrative of what might have happened to these two brave souls lost in the wilderness. To this day, the mysteries surrounding the disappearance of Chris and Lazanne persist a chilling reminder of how the heart of the jungle can guard its secrets with a deadly silence. Did the girls simply become lost and out of their depth amongst the wilderness? Was it the unfortunate result of a hiking accident? Did they encounter dangerous wildlife native to the heart of the jungle? Or was it the result of something far more unsettling? Were the girls murdered? Was there local involvement? And was there a national cover-up? So yeah, from that, I think it's clear there are a lot of conflicting beliefs about the case. Uh, there are so many eerie bits of evidence that you will find along the way um, that point to different things, whether it was an accident, whether it was intentional, uh, whether there was a cover-up. And there are, again, as we said earlier, there are quite a few conspiracies added. Um, but it's, yeah, it's uh, it's a super interesting one and one that we're really intrigued to, to dive into today. So, yeah, from what producer Dan was saying there, there's lots of different avenues and different ways of looking at the case. And a lot of people come to their own uh, idea of what has happened. Ben, do you have a clear idea of what you think has actually happened? I've got one sort of argument as to why I feel like there is slightly more malice to it. Like, mm. um, I mean, I can, shall I jump into this right now? Because no, I can. No, 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 no. I'll save it, obviously. Yeah, yeah retention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Retention. Um, yeah. But there's, yeah, I've got one sort of, and you can probably unpick it when we get there, but um, I've got one belief that leads me to believe something sinister occurred here. One big hunch. One big old hunch, yes. Big old Quasimodo hunch. I've got a big Quasi. Yeah, we've got Quasi on. Yeah, fair yeah, play to you. We've got a Quasi on about this. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay. fine, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's fine. Yeah, but yes, uh, we're gonna we're gonna go into the early life like we normally do of the case, um, talking about the victims, and then we're gonna get into the timeline. and if, And we'll be interested to hear what the uh, listeners have in regards to thoughts of what they think happened, and we'll be able to give you the thoughts of what we think happened. Dan, are you familiar at all with the case? Will we be able to get an idea and theory from producer Dan? Uh, you Maybe, if you're lucky, um, but I don't know anything. I don't know anything yet either, because I haven't watched anything yet. So now we're going to move on to the early life of the two victims of the case. Chris Kremers was born on the 9th of August 1992 in the medieval city of Amersfoort, which is one of the smaller cities in the province of Utrecht in the centre of the Netherlands. That's where Oscar played. Oh, that's where Oscar played. That's where um, Oscar Corny played. Wow. That is literally where Oscar Corny played, yeah. And uh, for any any new listeners of I Could Murder a Podcast, uh, producer Dan uh, produces for Oscar Corny and, and slaps the bass. He slaps the bass. slaps that bass. Roll the tape, Dan. So long, my 
But yeah, really medieval-looking city. Chris was the middle child born to Hans and Ruli Kremers, having an older brother called Shores and a younger brother called Tijan. The family owned a small home in a quiet neighbourhood within the city. From a young age, Chris displayed an intense curiosity and energy for life, which delighted her parents and those around her. Uh, and what I did was just a little look on Amersfoort. Obviously, I mentioned this it's quite medievally. And according to visituTrechtregion.com, and I, met, I, I noted as we were researching this case, there's not as many quotes this week for Dan. Oh, for f**k's sake. Yeah, I know, and people really loving them, so I thought I'd sort of pipe you in early here. Um, little, little quote about Amersfoort. Amersfoort's greatest treasure is its rich past. Its multitude of historic buildings, quaint streets, canals and subtle details transport you to the city's medieval roots in the 13th century. Sounds lovely, doesn't it? I think I got, I guess, all of that just from it being medieval. I don't <laughs> think it painted yeah. more of a picture for me. It does look a bit sort of castle-y. Yeah. Yeah. What, like a medieval castle? Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. Growing up, Chris was a spirited and adventurous child, always seeking new challenges and exciting experiences. She was said to have been a very confident little girl who found it easy to socialise and make new friends, whilst getting on well with her two brothers. She had a close-knit family and her parents encouraged her curiosity. The family took many regular holidays around Europe and different parts of Asia, as well as the Americas, which sparked Chris's passion for travel and love of South and Central America. As a child, Chris was involved in various educational and social activities, from participating in sports like football and swimming, to engaging in creative pursuits like painting, drawing and writing stories. She had a real passion for nature and the outdoors. And the family holidays we have mentioned often involved camping trips, excursions and exploring the local culture and countryside. Chris developed a fascination with different cultures and dreamed of one day travelling the world, potentially even living or working abroad. In school, Chris was an enthusiastic learner who was always keen to discover and understand new subjects. She had a wide circle of friends and was known for her warm, friendly nature. According to a neighbour, Chris always stood up for those in need, displaying a strong sense of empathy and compassion even from a really young age. Get off him! Exactly, it was exactly like that, apparently, yeah. as the neighbour said. As she entered her teenage years, she was described as an open, creative and responsible individual. Chris's adventurous spirit continued to flourish as she grew older. She enjoyed wild swimming, rock climbing and hiking, always seeking her next adrenaline rush. I'd love to try wild swimming, but it also sort of makes me nervous because I don't like dark water. If I think of you wild swimming, I, I get the impression of just you splashing around being frantic it, rather than it yeah. being what it is. Ben's going, oh, Ben's been going wild swimming again. Just cuts to you. <laughs> in a muddy puddle. But yeah, really. Yeah. Well, it wasn't as muddy beforehand, but now it's what? absolutely filthy. Chris's love for exploration and thirst for knowledge eventually led her to pursue her dream of travelling the world and embracing new cultures. She would combine this dream with her studies, hoping to one day become an art or English teacher overseas. Her heavily active childhood and teenage years very much laid the foundation for the independent, spirited young woman she would go on to become. In her late teenage years, Chris began seeing a young man named Stefan, and the pair quickly fell head over heels for one another. In late 2013, when Chris was 21, she had not long completed her studies in cultural social education, and in a degree in art education at the University of Utrecht. Not long after graduating, Chris moved in with one of her best friends, Lizanne Froon. The pair shared a dorm room together in Amersfoort, and they worked together at a cafe slash restaurant called In Den Kleinen Hap, which we think <laughs> translates to in the small bite. Yeah, we think it does. It. I mean, it, it pretty much directly translates to that, but I thought it's a strange name for a 
cafe restaurant. I think it's one of those ones, sort of cafe by day, restaurant by night. You can get a coffee and a pie at sort of noon, but come back, come back later for the pasta. That famous, uh, famous Dutch pasta. The pair spent all of the time in one another's company and began to hatch a plan to go traveling around the world together with a particular focus on Central America. Unfortunately, this is all the information we were able to gather relating to Chris's childhood and early life. But what is clear is that she had a family that very much loved and supported her. She lived a life without conflict, having been an extremely popular young lady throughout all of her life, gaining no enemies or even people that disliked her. And she had so much promise ahead of her in relation to her future. So yeah, very much with these two girls, they were very popular, very kind, very friendly. No one had a bad word to say about them. And um, they were very, very similar to one another as well. So uh, it wasn't a case of opposites attracting. It was a case of um, similar people attracting pretty much. That's how I sort of interpreted that. Chris would be 21 years old at the time of her disappearance. Uh, and she was almost a whole year younger than her best friend, Lisanne Froon. Lisanne Froon was born on the 24th of September 1991, also in Amersfoort. She was a second child born to Peter and Dinny Froon. Having an older brother called Martin, Lisanne was born into a loving and nurturing family in the picturesque neighbourhood within the city. From a young age, she was a gentle and inquisitive little girl with an affectuous smile that, according to her older brother, could brighten anyone's day. Lizanne's childhood was much like Chris's, marked by a sense of wonder and curiosity, as she eagerly explored the world around her with wide eyes and an open heart. Growing up, Lisanne had a close bond with her family who enjoyed spending as much time as possible together. Peter and Dinny would regularly... <laughs> Sounds like my dad and Josh. I know. <laughs> Fuck. What's my dad doing there? Fucking idiot. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Peter and Dinny would regularly take Lisanne on camping trips and she would often go away and stay at her grandparents' homes with her many cousins. Her parents encouraged her creativity and imagination, fostering her love for art as well as storytelling. She often spent hours with her sketchbook and journal. Also being a keen people watcher, Lisanne would regularly sketch images of nature and make notes in her journal of the vivid imagery from her dreams. Lisanne's love for photography began to bloom during her early teenage years, also as she found joy in capturing moments that she believed made life so magical. A compassionate and empathetic child, Lisanne was known for her caring nature and her willingness to help others, much like her friend Chris. She frequently volunteered in her community, whether it was assisting at a local animal shelter or participating in charity events. Lizanne's warmth and kindness drew people to her. She had a wide circle of friends who admired her for her genuine heart and her ability to see the positives in every individual she encountered. Her older brother Martin described her as aspiring, optimistic, intelligent and the kindest of hearts. In school, Lisanne was an exceptional student, driven by her passion for learning and desire to make a positive impact on the world. She excelled in various subjects, particularly those related to culture, language and sport. Uh, so everywhere you look about uh, this girl, she was a very good volleyball player, apparently. As she grew older, her fascination with different cultures and desire to explore the world only intensified. 
This curiosity was likely heightened drastically when she formed a close-knitted friendship with Chris, who shared her passion to see the world and experience new things. Lisanne was also very into her sport and keeping fit, playing for her school volleyball team, there you go, for many, many years. As a teenager, Lisanne continued to embrace her adventurous spirit. She would always look for opportunities to travel, both domestically and internationally, with school and with her family, and would recount her travels with her many friends that she had in her social circle. Her passion for photography continued to flourish during these family travels, capturing the essence of different cultures and the many differing landscapes she encountered. Like Chris, Lisanne became particularly fond of Latin America. Sam was known by those closest to her as optimistic, dedicated and responsible. In her early 20s, she graduated with a degree in applied science and psychology at the University of Utrecht. During her time studying, she worked as a waitress in a cafe near her home. This is at the place we referred to earlier, the small bite, um, which Ben said that during the day it's pasties and the evening it's spaghetti. Um, she was described by her colleagues as adaptable, inquisitive and thoughtful and was very popular with customers and colleagues alike. Didn't you want to say, Ben, that you quite like the idea of a Cornish pasta with spaghetti in it? I never said that, but I did do something. He's called it Cornish pastery, he said. <laughs> That's pretty spot That's on, quite actually. Fun. I think it slaps, yeah. I uh, put a bit of spaghetti inside a flatbread uh, yesterday with a little bit of mozzarella, and it was bloody delicious. Could probably have made it into a toasty if I heated it up. Well, I definitely could have made it into a toasty if I heated it up. But, yeah, flatbread with filled with spaghetti. Very nice. You are bizarre. Of... of a flatbread of baguette. No, a flatbreadetti. A flatbreadetti. There you go. The out of his depthy. <laughs> um, whilst working in the cafe and living together, Chris and Lizanne began to save their hard-earned money in order to go on a six-week trip to Panama. To save for six months in order to fund their Central American adventure. They told friends and loved ones. They told friends and loved ones that they made arrangements to travel to the small mountain town of Baguette in Panama in order to stay with an arranged local family, whilst they volunteered to teach and support children. The trip would not only give them the opportunity to experience another culture and spend time in a beautiful part of the world, but also gave them the opportunity to learn Spanish and to do something of significance for the locals, particularly volunteering with the children. The trip was also intended to be a graduation present for Lausanne, funded by her parents as well as her own savings. So before we move on to our detailed timeline of events, let's first take a look at the hike as a trail that the girls would become lost on. The El Pianista Trail, which translates to the Pianist Trail, um, is a 4.9 mile out and back trail that begins two and a half miles away from the town of Buketi. It is called the El Pianista Trail due to the very up and down nature of the trail, uh, so very much like the sort of white and black keys on a piano. The hike itself takes an average of three and a half hours to complete and is very popular with locals and travellers alike. It's highly likely that you will encounter other travellers whilst on this hike. The trail runs from the Chiriqui state onto the province of Bocas del Toro, crossing steep river gorges up to 70 feet deep, which need to be crossed using cable bridges. The trail is marketed to tourists as giving them the opportunity to, quote, literally walk among the clouds. The trail is marketed to tourists as giving them the opportunity to, quote, literally walk among the clouds. That's a good line. Yeah, li you can literally come on my trail. Aww. You can literally walk among the clouds. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. You can literally walk among the clouds for a small fee. Actually, I think it's free entry. The dense jungle area surrounding the trail is considered a cloud forest due to the fact that its elevation at points becomes heavily immersed by clouds and mist. 
Cloud forests are born of very specific geographic and climatic features. They usually form partway up mountains where moisture-laden air currents from surrounding lowlands and bodies of water are forced upward and then cool and condense as they rise, creating persistent fog or cloud cover in a particular area. The El Pianista Trail is unique in that the rivers running through it drain to both the Pacific and the Atlantic Ocean and can be prone to flash flooding. According to TripAdvisor, the hike boasts that it will take you through different types of terrains and climatic conditions. You'll be able to walk through a spectacular wild forest where you'll be able to find all types of local flora and fauna. What's the difference between flora and fauna, Dan? Um, fl- uh, Floras are the flowers, the fauna is the non-flowering uh, plants, perhaps. Or animals or bugs. Ooh. Is he right? He sounded confident. He said perhaps, which kind of made me doubt it a little bit, but he, he said it was confidence. Very quick, though, wasn't he? Yeah. I'll tell you what it means. Flora. Oh, f*** it. Flora is plant life. Butter. <laughs> Margarine. Shit. Flora is plant life. Fauna refers to the animals. Oh, okay. so, you weren't too far off. Yeah. Well, you threw bugs in at the last minute, so you yeah, I'll, t- I'll take it. it. I'll take it. Yeah. For myself. Yeah. The trail begins by the Il Pianista Italian restaurant through an open green field with mountains all around. You then enter the cloud forest, where the trail will take you higher and higher, and during this part of the trail, you'd be surrounded by a tunnel of vines and trees, and if you're lucky, you might spot... Quetzals. Quetzals? Quetzals. It's a monkey, isn't it? Monkey. No, it's a bird. So you might spot quetzals, which Ben uh, was confidently saying it's a monkey, but it's actually a bird. Snakes. Play that back. I don't think I sounded that confident. I think you'll find that's a monkey, actually. (laughs) Snakes and howler monkeys. So you've got got a monkey there. Wildflowers and and Dan, all types of bugs. Yes. Both of you are getting things. That's a lot of fauna. The trail will then take you to a sullen stream. From this point onwards, the scenery becomes even foggier and magical. With unique types of flowers, you'll love. This is, this is TripAdvisor saying the TripAdvisor, yeah. Yeah, it's not, not our language. At the summit, if you're lucky and get a clear day, you'll enjoy a fantastic view of the Piquetti. You'll return back down the same way. The trail itself is considered somewhat challenging for inexperienced hikers. With more than 2,000 feet, or 610 metres, of upward elevation and numerous incredibly steep river and mountain gorges. The trail is open all year round and can be completed during both daytime and nighttime hours. The area beyond the trail is very rugged, steep and dangerous, particularly during the April to October wet season. So when we go into the timeline, it, it will begin, well, this the particular moment of the girls going missing will begin on April 1st where areas become treacherous and even the indigenous Nagobi tribe tread carefully. It currently holds a hard classification on the alltrails.com website, who describe the trek as follows. Is it considered just hard when it's wet season? or I think hard um, in general, just generally yeah, a hard. So yeah, so classified hard, but hard just in particular when it's wet season, it's harder. Yeah, like, like most things. Um playing football when wet spray a pass sex yeah dad this natural route is ideal for anyone who wants to immerse themselves in a truly magical jungle world only about four kilometers from Bukhetti this trail leads through a mystical cloud forest a unique experience the hike starts very close to the Il Pianista restaurant refreshments available After about 15 minutes, you're surrounded by rainforest, including a unique soundscape of rippling water, chirping animals, and singing birds. 
In addition to the varied animal and plant world, this hike also enchants with some picturesque gorges and great vantage points. Sturdy or waterproof shoes are recommended, as the trail is often muddy. On the way there, you gain around 600 metres in altitude over a distance of 4 kilometres, which makes the way back a pleasant walk downhill. Highlights of the hike include tropical flora and fauna. Maybe a quetzal if you're lucky on a good day. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, there's fucking flying monkeys. Hiking trail along the Rio Pianista, brackets, river penis. Oh, sorry, Dan. Just making myself laugh earlier. I don't know what a river penis would be. Sorry. And Panama's cloud forest. Thanks, Ben. So yeah, hike, trek, trail, it doesn't matter which word you prefer. We've, we've basically covered all, all bases there. Um, it's heavily recommended that you do not complete the trail without the support of a local guide or experienced climber or hiker. It is also advised that you take plenty of refreshments with you, as well as appropriate hiking clothing. <clears throat> clothing. Clothing. <laughs> so you've got the right clothing equipment for the scourge. As well as appropriate hiking clothing and equipment. So like sticks and... One thing I don't like and my mum particularly gets irked by it's when you see walkers they're walking around relatively flat terrain, which is usually Cambridgeshire, with walking with those two walking sticks. Yeah. As in one person holding two, it's not someone that needs one walking stick, it's not just an old person. But it's those people that have the sticks like it's like mm-hmm. you, don't need, you don't need that. It's so overkill. Very noisy. Yes. Is it? Yeah. And maybe some footsteps in between. Like, Very get noisy. Nice, get a nice rhythm going. Yeah, it's just more just the um overkill but yeah. yeah but they yeah so they recommend uh, appropriate hiking clothing and equipment uh, a number of comments on that particular website also make note of there being numerous quote unfriendly wild dogs uh, along the majority of the hike so is the thing called jungle dogs yeah i was thought i'd ask the question are jungle dogs a thing is this your interesting facts ben, ben carter's it's not oh. but it is that is <laughs> that would be interesting dogs going oh jungle dogs oh my god here what we go Play the jingle. Interesting fact. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, there are jungle. Jungle dogs are a thing. The short-eared dog, also known as the short-eared Zorro or the small-eared dog, is a unique and elusive canid species endemic to the Amazonian basin. This is the only species assigned to the genus Atelocunus. Basically, it looks like a hairy, skinny pig. Fox. And a bit of a cat in there. There's also a band called Jungle Dogs. I was going to say Jungle Dogs is a great name for a band. Yeah, reggae. And they've got an album called Greatest Shit. Yeah, more foxy than I don't know how you got a pig there, but... Skinny sort of We'd like, we like to see your bacon. <laughs> One hiker on the same forum noted... As others have indicated, there are some not-nice dogs about three-quarters of the way on the entire trail. Show dominance, go with others and take a big stick. I... Uh, uh, a couple we met on the trail had... Is this all necessary, yeah? Just... Yeah, yeah. Cool. A couple we met on the trail had been to the dog area and he tried being nice and got bitten on the thigh. We joined them and with my husband waving his stick and shouting at the lead dog, they went back up to the area on the right and did not follow. It was raining at the top and quite refreshing. It was challenging enough for me, I took my time. You should have great boots for water, mud and rocks. After about 20 to 30 minutes in, some aggressive dogs showed up out of the blue. Is this again, Ben, or is it... Same, yeah, same, same pack dogs. of dogs have returned. The reason we're mentioning this, ladies I, and gentlemen, it sounds is because... like they have altitude sickness. <laughs> <laughs> There's rocks and shoes, and then my, my husband was waving his stick at the dogs. <laughs> One of the theories that we're going to discuss, um, sort of 
point the finger a little bit at the wildlife um, and uh, I was not aware of the amount of wild jungle dogs in this mm. location but obviously we've got to we've got to explore every avenue haven't we so sure yeah a lot of people were saying that they were being chased by a gang of uh, wild dogs wild mm. jungle dogs or a pack or a pack of them yeah but these were more of a gang because I think one of them was smoking okay yeah it does make them cooler it does yeah do you still smoke I've tried to vape once but didn't know how to. Dan used to smoke a lot. Did he actually? Yeah, he used to always smoke at his parents' house. I can't tell if he's serious or not. He did. Did you really, Dan? I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> he said he used to listen to Sweet Child of Mine and smoke in his parents' room. Sweet Child of Mine. <laughs> <laughs> She's got a <laughs> My dad started smoking when he was 11. That baffles me. so young. My dad, I think, was the same. Yeah. But... Different world. When your dad stop? Uh, late, late twenties, thirties. Really? Yeah. So another hiker noted the following, which we felt relevant to mention, especially considering what we were going to discuss in great detail during the timeline. The trail is a lot longer than the descriptors on all trails. Overall, my phone stopped at the ten-kilometer mark, but my watch clocked twelve point five kilometers. The trail was beautiful, but very, very muddy, and water running throughout the trail was unavoidable. We didn't run into the dogs but the group behind us did, and we heard them a fair bit. We were just very quiet in the section we heard them. Beautiful trails, but no views for us, because of the fog and cloud cover, but we loved it. Beautiful jungle and fog with minimal bugs. Yeah, I mean, that is the other thing about... I went to the Blue Mountains in Australia, and I had a lovely clear day, but I know a friend of mine went there when it was really cloudy, and it really can sod the views up. And uh, if you go into a cloud forest... You know, you guess it's going to be really hit and miss if you're going to get a clear day. And finally, one user of the forum noted quite poignantly. We had a very rainy walk on this one. The last quarter of this hike was very, very muddy. Wouldn't have had a problem if I was wearing hiking shoes, but my thin running shoes got very dirty. The whole hike is steeper than I imagined. I'm glad I had the offline all trails downloaded. One time I took the wrong path and ended up getting some dogs chasing after me. Brackets, they were not big. I was aware of the Dutch women who perished on this trail. I was unaware of a small memorial to them at the end of this hike. From the memorial, I learned that I actually hiked the trail on the ninth anniversary of their passing. That was a freaky coincidence. It was so rainy. rainy. (laughs) It was so rainy. I couldn't see anything at the top. It goes without saying, but please don't continue hiking past the top slash memorial. There does seem to be a path, but I've been told it's easy to lose the path if you keep going. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. 
For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Going. Mm. A lot of dogs. A lot of dogs on that trail. A lot of people mention it, yeah. Mm. So from reading all of these different reviews and hearing about their recommendations on the trail, uh, it's quite clear to see that the hike itself was not a straightforward one and certainly not one to be taken lightly. Even hikers with the correct equipment and experience made note of certain difficulties encountered on the trail, both due to the trail itself, the weather conditions and the wildlife, mainly the jungle dogs, in the area. And I just thought difficult treks, difficult trails, difficult hikes. That's quite boring. Quite interesting. Okay, interesting. Well, not boring, interesting. Ben, I'm really rooting for you this week. Really rooting mm, for you. Don't put more pressure on it, mate. It's it's fine. Okay, fuck it up then. Oh, well, don't be nasty. Don't fuck it up, boy. Ben Carter's interesting facts. Interesting facts. Hey, welcome back. Welcome back. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Uh, yeah, welcome back, welcome back. Uh, we're keeping it short this week, keeping it short. We're saying things learning. saying things twice this week, saying things twice. So after reading some of the reviews for this El Pianista hike, uh, the team over at BC's IFs thought this week, you know, we're going to ask the question, what is the most dangerous hike in the world? And uh, straight away, a big talker in the, the world of dangerous hikes is the Huashan Mountain Trail. Um, and the Huashan Mountain, better known as the Plank Walk of China, is also known as the Death Trail. I think I've seen a video of this. Yeah, it's pretty... pretty oh, I've uh, seen this, yeah. yeah. This is pretty crazy. spooky. So this hair-raising path is literally no more than a few rotting wooden planks bolted into the side of a cliff with rusty nails hundreds of feet above the ground. And it is referred to as the most dangerous hike in the world due to the fact that it is rumoured that over a hundred people die on Huashan annually. Although, sadly, uh, well, sadly as well are the people, but sadly yeah. there are also no official death statistics. However, it doesn't seem too far off considering that there's a point of the, uh, the particular trail in which the planks of wood, the rotten old planks of wood, even disappear and hikers must rely on small cavities carved into the stone. The entire journey, including trekking on the world's most dangerous hike, can be done in a day trip. Um, so anyone up for that one? Yeah, that, that one is a front runner in terms of the most dangerous hikes in the world. Uh, very similar one looking into this. If you don't want to go as far as China, they have got one called El Caminito del Rey, which is called The King's Little Pathway. And it's in Spain. And it is a one meter wide walkway traversing a gorge. Six people have died on that one, so not as many, but yeah, still. Meter seems, I think, seems quite wide. Yeah, good birth. What? what, what? Birth. B e r t h. Oh. Good yeah. birth. Yeah. yeah. 
Put them in that. Yeah, that one going. Yeah, but then I thought, well, these are kind of sort of very much reliant on the fact that they are bolted onto the sides of mountains mm. or through mountains. So I thought, well, is that really a hike? Is it a mountain climb? Do these worlds ever collide? You know, is it a mountain hike hybrid? Uh, these are the questions you've got to really ask. It sure do. Another also ran in the world of dangerous trails is the Mist Trail, uh, which is in Yosemite National Park. And it's a 14.5 mile trail. And it's one of the most popular parts of Yosemite. I always thought it was Yosemite reading it, but Yosemite. Have you been? Been once, yeah, on a day trip, in and out. Not enough time to see what I wanted to see, but it Same. was beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Love, to, love to check it out. But there's a, uh, well, there's a few tricky spots throughout Yosemite. And according to a Yosemite hiking website, more than 60 people have died on Half Dome Mist Trail, which has a very misty trail leading up to it. Just driving around Yosemite is terrifying. Yeah, the, the, the roads are... Oof. The barriers are terrible. Well, this one goes up to 400 feet of ascent and steel cables assist you on the way. But we mentioned, obviously, things are harder when wet or slippery, more slippery when wet. Wasn't that Bon Jovi album? I'm not, sh- not totally it's sure. Super wet, yeah. um, but five people have died on Half Dome. Another one then that's a bit scary is Mount Rainier in Washington State, uh, which is in a national park, but it's anything but a, uh, a walk in the park, you know what I mean? Mount Rainier features extreme and fast weather changes, including avalanches, falling rocks. I'm sure I saw loads of falling rock signs in uh, Yosemite. And, and also it's located by an unpredictable volcano. Over the last 120... Am I doing it, am I not? <laughs> bubble, bubble. <laughs> I'll never tell. <laughs> And over the last 126 years, Mount Rainier has claimed nearly 450 lives, so an average of three to four deaths a year. And occasionally, some victims are never even found, uh, as once was the case when 11 people were swept to their death during an icefall in 1981. And also there was a cargo transport plane that crashed into the mountain, which entombed the bodies of the 32 marines that were on board the plane. Wow. Yeah. And then finally, we've got number four, Another American entry. Lots of American play. Lots of Americans. Keeping it short, like you said then. Yeah. Keeping it very short. Yeah, yeah very yeah. short. Mount Washington, New Hampshire. So in this area, the weather changes again is a, is a big problem. Naive hikers start their treks here in shorts and t-shirts and eventually end up suffering from hypothermia halfway up when temperatures suddenly plummet. That's the nature of Mount Washington. It has an observatory that claims to be the home of the world's worst weather. More than 100 people have died on the mountain either by being blown off ridges suffering from hypothermia or being swept away by an avalanche. The mountain also holds the world record wind speed of 231 miles per hour. A quote from the official website is, there are no guarantees that hikers will escape the mountain unscathed, so if absolute safety is what you require, then avoid a visit. So to all you hikers out there, all you climbers, trailers out there, all you walkers and movers, uh, stay safe, take care. Obviously, they're, they're just four examples of really dangerous hikes, really, really dangerous hikes. But the, the one to really look out for is Huashan in China, the plank walk of China, the death trail. So just be aware, be safe, and you know look out for each other on your hikes. And if there are any indoor mountain climbers, please hit us up because... The team here over at ICMAP would love to try some indoor mountain climbing. Unless I'm speaking for myself. Yeah, me and you aren't looking into it. Oh. Dan? Um, no? I think I'm busy that day. Okay, well, hit me up, guys. Um, <laughs> hit me up and uh, back to the episode. No, back to the time. And we now move to the timeline of the missing Dutch backpackers. Back to the timeline. Ben Carter's interesting facts. Interesting facts. To be fair, Ben, that was very, very good. Well done. Strong. Thanks, mate. 
Very strong. Like the winds on Mount Washington. Yeah. It was interesting. It was interesting. Yeah. yeah. Let's see what the old Tommy's got after his leave. Yeah. <laughs> and now to the timeline of the Dutch backpackers. After saving for six months to go on a graduation trip, on March 15th, 2014, Dutch students Chris Kremers, 21, and Lizanne Froon, 22, got on a plane at Amsterdam Airport to travel to Costa Rica in Latin America. From there, they make their way over to Bocas de Toro in Panama. The girls made friends when scuba diving, swam with dolphins, and made friends with other backpackers and locals, often staying out until the early hours of the following morning. In her diary, Chris describes the island as follows. The water is so clear here, super beautiful, truly a fairy tale island. I have never seen a place with such a beautiful coastline and palm trees. This is where Ben goes, it sounds really nice there, I'd love to go. I do, yeah, I would. Yeah, I love a palm tree, love a good coastline, um, nice water. Always, get, I'm never good with my colorblindness because it all looks kind of blue, but when someone sees like a nice turquoisey water, I never see it. It just looks blue. That's quite sad, actually. Thanks, mate. This contrasts heavily to the diary entries of her good friend and travel companion, Lizanne, who wrote the following. I want to go home. I'm weighing over my head. I want mum and dad to hold me tight and tell me everything will be all right. But I can't let them know how I feel now because I don't want them to worry. Yeah, it's quite a stark contrast there. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I think from what we've we've looked, the way we've looked into it, Chris seems to be the more, slightly more confident uh, and assertive one of the two. But Lisanne has her moments as well, where she's uh, very approachable and, and talkative to strangers. So, yeah, both of them very early on in the vacation as well, uh, having completely different views. The contrasting emotions of the girls did not deter them from their travel plans. A couple of weeks later, the girls arrive in Panama and travel to Boquete. The town is relatively small in comparison to the other towns of Panama, and it is estimated that roughly 15,000 people live there, a small portion of which are either retired Americans or Europeans, looking for a quiet life surrounded by their own slice of paradise. Uh, just to clarify here, I know we mentioned him earlier in the episode, but there was no canoe club founded by John Darwin, as far as we are aware, in Boquete. But the town is situated nicely between a number of coffee farms, animal farms, and, as we have mentioned, Panama's infamous cloud forest. It is important to note, and it will feed into some of the conspiracy theories that we'll go on to discuss towards the end of the episode, that between Bocas del Toro and Boquete, which is roughly a, a 40 mile radius, since 2009, more than 50 women and girls have gone missing, the majority of whom have never been found, some of whom have been tourists, and some of whom have been found dead. No other part of Panama, or Central America for that matter, has similar figures to be reported. During the first couple of weeks of their trip, they enjoyed walking around the town, eating local food and doing what tourists do. I don't really know many Panama local dishes, but... Uh, oh, I'd love to visit. Yeah, you should. You should. But the coffee's good. Yeah? Yeah, well, to be fair... You, you, quite, you quite like a Nescafe, though, so I don't know if it'd be do, a bit yeah. rich for you, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's true, yeah. Mm. Yeah, just... Because uh, I just have a lot of milk and just something from the French press. <laughs> When we went to Italy, um, me and my friend Lewis, a year or so ago, he paid an extortionate amount of money for a shot of that, um, what is it, the cat poo coffee? Not cat. Is it cat? Some sort of uh, Peruvian mountain cat poos on the coffee beans and then rich people. Jack Nicholson drunk it in Bucket List. Uh. Uh, but it smelt disgusting. But maybe that's just my palate. Cat just never appealed to me. 
Don't know if it's cat shit. Um, Any shit on my coffee I'm not overly happy about. <laughs> In the meantime, um, I did a quick Google. Do you know what the national dish of Panama is? I'd love to. That's what I want. It's called the San Cocho de Gallina, which is a chicken stew, basically. Chicken oh, stew. Nice. But the picture that's to the right of what I'm reading has got a load of prawns on it. So I don't know what to believe, really. Prawns famously known as the chicken of the sea. So, uh, mm, yeah. Mm. Ben, uh, found out if your cat's doing a poo on the, the coffee or... Yeah, it's coffee luwak, uh, which is also known as civet coffee, and it consists of partially digested coffee cherries, which have been eaten and then defecated by Asian palm kivets, which are kind of like cats of the trees. <laughs> Planes are like you know, buses of the sky. <laughs> yeah. Beep, beep. <laughs> I wonder if airplanes have horns. Anyway, they also met two Dutch boys that were travelling along Central and South America, and they were all enjoying each other's company at restaurants and beaches. They believed that they would commence voluntary work at a local school. However, when they arrive at the school, they are met with a rude member of staff who tells them that the plans have been changed and they will not be starting work until the next week. They found this extremely disappointing, especially considering they had been contacted by the school the previous Friday to confirm the start date. Can I just interject as well? If if there are any people listening that would be, and we've been talking about planes and national dishes and expensive coffee and locations, um, if there are any millionaires listening to this podcast that would like to fund I Could Murder a Podcast Visit Central and South America, We'd, we'd all be very keen to sign up for that. People are just going to kick off for that, aren't they? Oh, you're just doing it for the money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really, yeah. But uh, yeah, any millionaires listening, then we'd love to do an on-location shoot. I'd be amazed if a millionaire um, listened to us just talk about it briefly and go, oh, you know why I really want to see? Dan eat a chicken stew, Ben eat some cat shit coffee, and uh, Tom be spoken to by a rude member of staff at a school. Yeah. Um, I need to see this. <laughs> Some people have got silly money, though, haven't they? Where that wouldn't that'd be a, 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 a drop in the ocean for them. Mm. We're asking for half a mil. Lizanne messages her parents about the change of plans, and the girls decide to head to the house that they had rented for four weeks. They were welcomed by Miriam Guerra. It had been noted that the first night that they arrived at the house, Chris spent the evening reading a book in the girls' private bedroom, whilst Lizanne spent the evening speaking with Miriam. There you go. Like I said, some are assertive sometimes. Other times they're non-assertive. Sort it's of like being polite as well, isn't it? Yeah, but if you want to go and read a book on your own, that's fine as well. I think it'd be slightly rude if you're working by your guest, you're, ho- you're, you're being, someone's hosting you and they, you know, they've maybe provided some food and a chat. Yeah. You go, I'm just going to go to my room and read. It's been a long day though, jet lag and sunburn and had a bad cat poo coffee and I just want to go off with my book, please. Thanks. What's the last book you read? Um, <laughs> good question, actually. Yeah, Holes. good question. <laughs> Stanley Unis, she just gets out of it. The Twits. Yeah, great, great book. Yeah, thank you. It was about 25 years ago. The last book you read was when you were 20. Fuck you. <laughs> Go on, you giggly <laughs> Oi, hey. Apparently, the programme administrators for the school weren't ready for them, and the assistant instructor had been, quote, very rude and not at all friendly about it, according to what Chris wrote in her diary. There was not yet a place or work for us, so we could not start. The school thought it was odd, as it was all planned since months ago. 
When speaking to Miriam, Lisanne asked for suggestions following their change of plans. Miriam said to try contacting another school, but it appears as though the girls had already tried this. It is important to note that Lisanne had a noticeable cough and was seen entering a pharmacy with Chris after this talk with Miriam. 31st of March 2014. During the next few days, the girls planned various activities, some of which had been planned with the guidance of a language school that they were attending. So obviously, as we mentioned, they were hoping to learn a little bit of Spanish whilst they were out there, and this was the school that they were taking Spanish lessons at. The girls also spoke to a local tour guide, later known as Tour Guide F, and we'll talk a lot more about him later on, who told them that he could take them to the El Pianista Trail, should they wish to go. The girls told the tour guide that they felt confident enough to do it on their own and also denied the offer to stay at the tour guide's residence. So that's kind of a... Because it wasn't sort of massively out the way for them for a tour guide to say, look, I'll take you on this tour and you can uh, stay at my place if you want to. Uh, that's a bit... Mm. But we'll talk a lot more about tour guide F shortly. The girls decide to meet with some of the other Dutch travellers that they had met earlier in their trip. The group then go for dinner and take photographs to document their time together. In her last diary entry, the night before the girls went missing, Chris would write the following. We were not received openly and did not feel welcome at all, unexpectedly to us. We also did not understand what was going on. It turns out there was no place or work for us after all this week so we couldn't start yet. It was really a huge disappointment. Well, let's go with the Panamanian flow then. The 1st of April 2014, the girls write on their social media, Today we will be going to hike on the El Pianista Trail. They post it on Facebook letting their friends and family know of their plans, and Lizanne also tells her boyfriends her plans for the day. It is known for being a great hike and tourists walk it all the time without the help of a tour guide, so they felt confident enough about the trip. So this has been, uh, from what I've seen about it, yeah, it, it really varies what people say about this this trail. Like, as we mentioned earlier on, the <laughs> many dog attacks, uh, mm. the jungle dogs. The jungle um, dogs. Sound like a good tag team. Um, they, a lot of people speculate whether it is actually a, a safe route to go and, and it being as easy as people say. Some people saying it's a lot longer than has been mentioned. And so I feel like, especially need even just the fact that you need tour tour guides or tour guides are available for that trip it makes you question whether or not it's just a as roundabout walk well that's it we did like a 30 minute look at tripadvisor and alltrails.com and it's considered according to experienced hikers and, and trailers um a very difficult hike and all of the almost all of them complained about wild dogs or the elements or the mud or you know, the rain and the difficult visibility. Whereas, um, you know, on this particular day, and this is the start of wet season, uh, they mm. felt confident enough to do it alone. It's been speculated that the girls were having brunch with two Dutch men before embarking on the hike. In a later interview with Hans Kremers, Chris's father, he confirmed the following regarding the last communications with the girls. Things were good. They were having a good time. They were very cheerful and enthusiastic about everything they were experiencing and seeing there. They were excited about things. One of the last people to see the girls alive was a local woman named Martina. She saw Chris and Lizanne heading off to the beginning of the trail. She said they seemed to be in a positive mood, but remains adamant to this day that a human was responsible for their demise. Not the river, not the mountains, not the elements, not the animals, but a person. She also claims that a man, Feliciana Gonzalez, who we'll talk about more in more detail and was a tour guide for El Pianista, followed the girls on the trail and spent many weeks after this date threatening Martina to shut up about the missing girls. 
So yeah, this is tour guide F and uh, he's going to come up a lot in uh, in this case. This trail takes around four hours to complete and does require the hiker to stay on a certain mapped out and highlighted path. Tourists are warned not to wander away from this path as indigenous tribes live within the rainforest and the trail becomes extremely dangerous as it progresses. The trail takes the hiker to a cloud forest, which means that the person walking in the rainforest is level with the clouds surrounding them. The trail does have a nearly 2,000 foot elevation gain and at points can require people to crawl on their hands and knees due to the steepness and that is if the person strays away from the particular Ooh. path and again if you stray stray off from the path you're supposed to stick on you can very quickly fall off a cliff edge or fall into a river it's it's especially when it's as foggy and misty as that cloudy probably i should have said for people saying you don't need a, a guide if, if it's a trail that requires you to crawl on your hands and your knees I mean, yes. obviously that's off if you're going off, off trail there. But um, yeah, I was just uh, thinking when you were talking about cloud forests there. Yeah. Sounds pretty terrific. <laughs> Hit it down. Tommy's trivia. <laughs> that's terrific. Buzzing. I haven't let myself down here. To be fair. He'll still give it to you. Don't worry. I don't know, you'll get the pity when you've been crying about it for so long. Um, <laughs> yes, we are back uh, for Tommy's trivia or... Some people have been saying TTs, and I find that's quite offensive. But um, we are back once again um, this week. I've got, I honestly really struggled with this case to find one. At first, I had a really good idea. I thought it was a good idea, and I was like, I'm going to do that. I was trying to find uh, backpacks to help with survival. Because I remember seeing something before with a backpack that if you were getting mugged, you could press a button on it, and loads of like sticks would come out of it and stop you getting... Uh, basically getting robbed well, is that actually a, th- a thing I saw that suitcase one yeah, yeah I, saw that that suitcase. I saw that last night weirdly on Twitter oh yeah okay yeah well like, um, spikes come out like as tall as a person yeah I couldn't find anything other than that I thought there'd be loads of those kind of things but there wasn't much to do with backpacks then I thought the longest time people have gone missing in the woods and be found but it's kind of more people who actually went off grid and I was like that's not really that intriguing um so I've stumbled on just a, just a kind of uh, interesting talking point, uh, uh, interesting forest. Because uh, I was oh. thinking cloud forests. There must be other interesting forests out there or terrific ones. Um, <laughs> really hard not to say the word interesting. Um, I've, I've landed on the crooked forest in Poland, which I'm not sure that evokes a certain image in, in your head. If, what, what would make a forest crooked? Zigzaggy trees. Zigzaggy trees. Well, both ways. Dan, anything being evoked there, or you want to just? No, is it on like a really slanted? No, that'd just be a regular forest, wouldn't it, on a mountain? No, I don't know. Yeah, well, Ben isn't too far off. It, it, the Crooked Forest is a is a grove of oddly shaped pine trees located in northwestern Poland. This grove of four hundred pines were planted in around nineteen thirty, and each pine tree bends sharply to the north, just above the ground level then curves back upright for a sideways excursion of one to three metres. Um, the curved pines are enclosed by surrounding forest of straight pine trees. So it's just like a normal forest, and then randomly there's 400 pines in the middle of it, which are all really crooked and bendy. That looks mm. incredible. Yeah, it looks a bit... looks eerie, doesn't it? Yeah. But, yeah, so it, it's been discussed and been people thought over time in terms of how this has actually happened. Um, people believe that perhaps it was humans who were, in, you know, making them bend on purpose. Perhaps this was a reason for doing it was to help with the kind of making wood for making a ship because of the interesting angles it might be useful for that. Um, but and some people believe it was just just from a snowstorm which leading to the, the trees to bend. But there's no evidence that actually supports that. So um, it's just an absolute mystery. But in yeah, the crooked forest in Poland, 
400 pine trees are very, like Ben said, zigzaggy. Uh, but we've, it's mm. a mystery as to why that's happened. A bit more windy than zigzaggy now. I've seen a, a photo. They look like the heads of those long vegetarian dinosaurs just sort of resting. Um, very beautiful actually yeah it's quite isn't it um but yes um i usually would like to go on to even more forests more more spooky little things like that but it really wasn't anything that struck me as much as that as the crooked uh trees of poland but yes yeah, very it's worth a google kind of like an upside down question mark but uh it's he has got he's kind of looks at daytime looks lovely but evening time i think it would be a bit yeah, creepy and you'd probably trip over it because you think that because from the top of it, it would be somewhere else, but it, it wouldn't be. But yeah, that, that's it. That's my little bit of trivia. Just a little bit of, you know, have a look, Google. Crooked trees of Poland. <laughs> Do they look like music notes, Dan? Maybe the uh, the treble clef. Oh, yeah, that's the one I thought. One, one side of a treble clef, perhaps. Mm. I see what you're saying there, Ben, yeah. Um, <laughs> Do you know what, boys? Um, I've been impressed by both of you, so you're both going to get a point this week. Oh, thanks so much. He's in his head. He's shaking. That's worse than giving it to him. <laughs> no. It's just... You're in the same position as last week. That was good. Week. No, they're beautiful. They are beautiful trees. Yeah, but I'll come back stronger next week. Hmm. Tommy's trivia. <laughs> That's terrific. So a taxi driver drops the girls to the start of the trail at roughly 1.40pm. This would later be disputed as this time conflicts with the time the photos were taken by the girls. So yeah, we've got a lot more uh, to talk about in terms of the photos. The timestamp of the initial photograph taken by the girls on a camera shows 6.03pm. However, this would become 12.03pm due to time differences. The date on the camera was correct. It is also contested as to whether the girls had a furry friend to guide them on their way or not various sources state that the girls had taken a local restaurant dog so you've got jungle dogs and now you've got restaurant dogs to join them on their hike the dog's name was azul which is blue in spanish and blue in italian and he was a siberian husky and he belonged to the owners of a local italian pizzeria restaurant named il pianista and there's loads of good reviews about that restaurant right at the start of the trail it is important to note that some people strongly believe that blue did not go up the trail with the girls at any point though he was known to complete the trail randomly with tourists that he seemed to gravitate to which is quite sweet and there are also photos of him in the case file relating to chris and lasanne it cannot be confirmed whether or not blue completed the hike with the girls but what can be confirmed is later that day blue would be seen coming down the trail by himself. Hmm. I used to have a dog called Blue. Yeah. I used to have a rabbit called Blue. Oh. oh. And Tom? Uh, the film Chopper, which I really liked, he calls the the his, his friend uh, Blue. There you go. Um, it's, it's a bit of a nickname for things. A little bit of a nickname for people with ginger hair. Yeah. And the old man in uh, old school. You're my boy, Blue. Yeah. Makes him, like, tie a string to his penis and throw it off a mm. rooftop with a brick attached to it. And the rope is long enough to hit the ground and it's about trust. And one of them has short string but yeah it's not completely clear if the dog did go with them or not um yeah it's speculation at this point yeah and it's to note that the the, the time 140 was what the taxi driver said about the drop-off and that's what's been disputed by the pictures as well so the girls decide to snap photos as they make their way up the trail they are wearing tank tops and shorts as well as basic hiking boots the girls take a vast amount of pictures throughout their travels. The girls would have thought that they would be taking these photos home to show their families, but ultimately they became evidence for a police investigation. In the more than 100 photos, you can see the girls happy and smiling. So why at 4.39pm 
did Chris ring the emergency services? Chris dialed 112, which is the Dutch emergency phone number, but this number is also recognised as the international number for help. If you are in a country and do not know their local specific emergency number, you can dial this number and you'll be passed to the local emergency services, which is good to know. Yeah, the more you know. 112, wherever yeah, well, you are. 112 if you haven't got a clue. When the girls are not connected, Lizanne tries to call this number from her phone, but has yet to be successful. In what we can only assume was an effort to conserve their phone battery, the girls switch off their phones for 14 hours. Now that is a, a long amount of time, Ben. That's more than half a day. It is. Yeah. Here on planet Earth anyway. So, um, but yeah, that is a long amount of time to conserve battery. It's like if, if you're doing, uh, if you're, you know, obviously in, in a moment of need, um, you think maybe you might turn it off try again in that 20 minutes you're not thinking 14 hours no 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 and that's that's a big reason pe- people speculate is it the girls turning the phones off is it another individual turning the girls phones off for a particular reason for this amount of time um but to conserve are they battery, are they um on the run at the time and they can't stop to look, use their phones for that amount of time yes yeah that's that's true that's a long chase isn't it 14 yeah, it's a long hours chase. um but i'm sure yeah i mean I'm just saying, man, you can't rule out. No, you can't. No, you can't. We know that the girls... Why are you trying to then? I just feel that it's unlikely in my semi-professional opinion. Not really even (sighs) semi. That's big for me. You were a baker. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a lot of hours. That's like a shift and a half in a bakery, you know. Baker's done. Um, Well, nearly. Um, But um, yeah, that is, yeah, there's a lot of question marks here already. Number one, the taxi driver, why is he saying 140? Has he just got the time wrong or has he estimated the, uh, has he upped the time of drop off to buy himself a window of time? Number two, the emergency phone calls, why are they going off? And then number three, 14 hours the phones are switched off for. Did they switch them off or did someone else cause them to switch them off? Mm. We know that. Or was it a chase the last time? What? Um, We know that the girls continue to take photos during this time and people often know of this case in particular because of these photos, so the very infamous photos that the girls took. Around this time, many note that they can see a change in Chris's body language. I mean, some have even gone as far as to say, well, the early photos, they're taking selfies together, they're smiling, but then they're far apart and the distance is getting bigger and they've clearly had an argument, but I don't buy into that narrative so much. If I've had an argument, I'm not going to take a picture of you at all. Yes, when the photos were like even before she was smiling and now that face could even be described as being anxious or scared i think that's a leap so yeah i mean uh people have analyzed chris's body language some suggest that she seems anxious about something some have said that they can see other figures in the background and faces in the trees and instead of photos being close like they had been moments earlier there is now a notable distance between them and again for me, it's just they took a few selfies when they started. Then they started hiking, which obviously meant that they were further apart. There were beauty spots that they wanted photos by. How are you going to get a photo to include the beauty spot? Take a few steps backwards, but not too far and look where you're going. Yeah, I mean, if you could travel anywhere, Ben, he's got an Instagram, he's found the Instagram spots. Yeah. You can't have fun. You have to go to Instagram spots and take got pictures. Yeah. And they've got, they might be wide shots or they might be mm-hmm. close-ups. Yeah. But you have to go to the spots. You have to. Yeah. Otherwise, what are you doing? Why not just walk around and find your own fun? Nah. I like a bit of my own fun. Find a bit of graffiti or something. Oh, that's nice. That's, that does sound fun. Yeah. To be fair, go but yeah, so uh, yeah, lots of people point at this as a, a crucial evidence. The girls have fallen out. There's something going on. There's another presence. There are other people in this uh, situation, but 
I don't know. I think, as Tom said, I think that's a leap. Um, and all photos from this point onwards, after a few of the selfies had been taken, will only now show Chris. That night, the host family called Lisanne's mother in the Netherlands to ask if she had heard from the girls, but Lisanne's mother said that she had not. And given that the girls were on vacation, the host family did not report it to the police, as they believe they are outside enjoying themselves, and after all, they were not the girls' real family. Which I kind of get. If you have people staying with you before, uh, you know, travelling, it wouldn't be out of the question that they've stayed out. The French exchange. Did you do the French exchange at school? I didn't know. Oh, I did. Did you? Yeah. Xavier was my, which I didn't think was that French sounding. Yeah. Yeah, we went fishing somewhere in France. It was good. But if we'd stayed out fishing all night, I'm sure they wouldn't have called my parents and said, you know. Did you catch a poisson? We did catch a, a, a few petit poissons. A few little fish. Released them. Yeah. Did he um, enjoy jouer de foot? Uh, he, he was on crutches, annoyingly. Oh, uh, but it was a big football do, fan. Do they rust in the river? <laughs> 2nd of April 2014, so this is the day after the girls initially started the trail. Phone call records show the girls would attempt to make calls to the emergency services on this day. At 8.14am, there was another try from Chris's phone. On Lazan's phone, there would be three attempts. At 6.58am came the first one, followed by another at 10.53am and another at 1.56pm. The last two attempts called both 112 and 911. The call at 6.58am connected for two seconds before being disconnected for an unknown reason. It's, to, it's been assumed that it's probably due to poor connection as to their location. Um, but yeah, it's, it's again, very sporadic times. Yeah. But from, from my thoughts on it, if you go for the theory of they've been kidnapped or whatever, or the bags have been taken, you're, you're not doing that to give like a help you you know help be a be more deceptive to the police by making them do that or anything like that so that for me is definitely that is the girls making those calls you wouldn't make them or ask them to do the phone call would you no but i suppose if it's someone i don't know or, or a group of people that are trying to think like actually yeah let's make it look like they had they came into some trouble on the hike uh, let's random times completely random times which it is let's call 112 and 911 um, I, I agree with you. I think it's definitely the girls making these calls, but someone or some group of people could definitely try and make it look random. Yeah, but again, there was a lot of reviews on all trails. I keep doing shout outs to alltrails.com, but a lot of reviews saying that they got to a certain escalation point and, and within the cloud forest and boom, your signal is completely gone. Yeah. She can't see the, the method behind it if, if it was the case. So a day after the disappearance, suspicions start to rise. The tour guide that we previously mentioned, known as F, was expecting the girls to arrive for a tour that they had booked with him the day prior. When they did not arrive, he went to the language school that they were studying at and asked if anyone had seen them. He began to get increasingly worried when he was told that they had not shown up that day. He and a school worker named Eileen decided to head to Miriam's house in the hopes of finding the girls. When they arrived, they did not find the girls. Miriam tells them that she has not seen them, but she also did not realise that they were not in. They enter the girls' bedroom and tour guide F testifies that he remained in the girls' room for 30 minutes unsupervised before he left. Which, very odd. Mm. Very weird. Yeah, a lot of people point to the fact that he's claiming that he's only doing this because they had a tour booked with him and he was trying to find them, but he's gone to their school, their place of alleged work or where they were due to be working. He's gone to their place of study and now he's gone to the place of where they were residing very, very quickly to try and track him down. So some people are saying he's trying to look like he's trying to help. Yes, which we know from our previous cases, that is not a great sign sometimes. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there is some innocent people who do that, but 
the fact that he it's just like I can understand knocking on the door whether it's hiding and going have they been here if not mm-hmm. but um, going in the room and staying there for 30 minutes very yes, odd unsupervised yeah yes uh, it is only at 5pm that police are notified of the missing girls which again is to me bizarre this is after tour guide F has started to conduct his own search and I mean so they've been gone for more than 24 hours at this point the hike takes there and back maximum four hours overnight in the forest and this guy is acting for me quite suspicious yes in the afternoon two French tourists wish to enter the forest and complete the trail but they are warned not to a blog post translated from French states that at the guard post we meet a guy who the day before had frightened cries of two girls then a loud sound of falling and then saw three guys on the path so yeah, I mean, if you're if you're about to go traveling there, and you know you're about to do the hike, and you've, there's been reports of people screaming, um, a loud sound, a loud sound of falling, which is quite an interesting thing to say. You've heard a loud sound of falling. Um, it's a bit ominous. Yeah, very much indeed. And uh, yeah, obviously they were trying their best, although it wasn't widely publicized news at this point that two tourists had gone missing on the trail. They were trying their best, or locals at least, were trying their best not to let too many more people on the path. 3rd of April 2014, so the girls have now been missing for two days. Once again, the girls attempt to call emergency services, but with no luck. This would be the last time an attempt was made to call for help. So there are, if you find the phone call elements interesting, there are like diagrams of whose phone did what on what day and for how long. Uh, if you just Google image search Chris Kremer's Lisanne Froon phone, there's a bunch of different diagrams that make it a, a lot clearer because they're so erratic, these different times and different uh, methods that they've tried to use. A large-scale search and rescue operation is now underway. The team wished to use a helicopter to scout the area, but unfortunately, and as you've probably guessed with a, a cloud forest, poor weather conditions meant that this was not possible. On the 4th of April 2014, the weather conditions do get a bit better, but a helicopter does not prove useful to the search. The rainforest is far too populated with trees to find the girls. However, this does not halt the search. Flyers are handed out to local tribes within the rainforest in the hopes that at least someone would have seen them. At around the same time, the parents of Chris and Lisanne conduct their first public interview. And when the interviewer asks Chris's father, Hans, uh, what he believes happened to them or what he believes is happening to them, he responds as follows. Well, encouraging signals in the sense that everybody in Paquetti, Panama, is busy and preoccupied with their disappearance. And everyone is actively searching for them. And I do get the impression that they are using every tool to try and find them. I mean, helicopters are flying around here, 25 people are looking for them. Today, another 20 volunteers were added to search for them. They are trying to get this case covered on a local radio show, which all the indigenous tribes there listen to. So, to me... These are all positive signals that everybody is doing everything they can to find Chris and Lizanne. For instance, a young man has gone missing in the same area for four or five days, and he turned up safe and sound in the end. There is enough water in that area as well as fruit. So those are hopeful things. The 5th of April 2014. The area continues to be searched by a team of volunteers and rescuers. However, there is no luck. The girls' phones continue to be turned on a number of times throughout the day in the hopes of presumably searching for a signal. Once again, there is no such luck. We know that on this day, Lizanne's Samsung phone dies. Chris's iPhone remains in use. The next part of the case has puzzled people from all over the world. At 1.42pm, Chris's iPhone is switched on, but an incorrect pin is entered. Some have questioned that this may have just been that she was delusional. The girls would have been in the rainforest for four days by this time. 
It's not a far stretch to say that she may have simply just entered the uh, incorrect pin. However, a correct pin would not be entered again. And this has led to some people thinking it may have been Lizanne trying to unlock Chris's phone, which is quite a horrible idea that she's trying to, you know, yeah. that's the last thing she's got and she's trying to get into it. So some people have speculated that this is odd as well because they're being so close that they would know each other's pin codes. But I mean, I, don't, I personally don't share my pin code around because I don't know why you would. So um, yeah, I don't think that's, I don't think that's, too much of a thing but even still if Lizanne was start trying to call for emergency services she could have done so without putting the pin code in so I see that's the interesting thing there as well so yeah one of the one of the prominent theories is that something happened to Chris by accident and Lisanne was now also stuck not wanting to leave her that's kind of one of the if you go through the narrative of there not being external kind of human involvement mm. the big theory is that Chris fell or became trapped and Lisanne would not leave her or they both became lost, but something had happened to Chris. Sure. So this iPhone was equipped with an emergency call function that could be found in the bottom corner of the phone. Clicking on this button would allow a person to call a number without actually unlocking the phone. So someone must have been trying to gain entry into the phone, and if that is the case, what were they desperately trying to see? On the 6th of April 2014, by this time, the families of both girls have now arrived in Bukhetti. The families brought their own team of detectives with them from the Netherlands as they feared the worst. As well as detectives, they brought dog units so that they would be able to thoroughly search the area. The entire group, parents, volunteers, special detectives, local police, Dutch police and the search dogs conduct a full-scale search of the surrounding forests for the next 10 days. An initial reward of $2,500 is put in place for the safe return of the missing girls, although this would eventually go up to $30,000. During this time, two more incorrect PIN numbers is entered into Chris's phone. So the following day, the 7th of April 2014, Ricardo Martinelli, the president of Panama at the time, announces on television that the country is using all of its resources to try and find the girls. The search is being coordinated by Ingrid Lomas, who is the director of the Panama language school that the girls were attending, and she said the following. The police force is small, the official search party as well. We can't expect hundreds of investigators to suddenly get involved, but we do our best. The aid organisation Cineproc has brought a few men from Panama City to help. They are combing the entire forest. Lomas has faith in her search team and then poses her theory that the girls are no longer within the forest. As the area has been thoroughly investigated, she does not believe that this is where the girls will be located. She also adds that the team is following up on two recent leads. Lomas states that an American who lives near the path leading to the El Pianista trail spoke to the girls and told them to try a different trail that was easier than the one they wished to climb. The girls did so, but then quickly returned when they were tired. It is then speculated that they sat down at a nearby hostel and engaged in a conversation with the hostel owner. A second lead alleges that another person saw the girls walk past his shop. Lomas stated, We are not 100% sure if it was Lausanne or Chris, but it does seem that way. Referring to the girls, she said, Nobody saw them get on a bus or in a taxi. But the girls were described as speaking English with an accent. From within the rainforest, more incorrect pins are entered, and so the phone still cannot be accessed. 8th of April 2014. It is at this point that many people involved in the case believe that the girls are not missing. The head of the search and rescue mission confirms that this team have covered 25 different routes and none have shown indication of the girls. Furthermore, Miriam, the host of the accommodation that the girls were staying at, also states her theory that the girls are not lost. 
She says the girls did not pack enough essentials in their bag to be prepared for a long hike. This would be confirmed months later when the bag was found. We'll go into more detail about that later. Uh, from within the forest on this night, something bizarre happens. Nearly 100 photographs are taken, with most of them just showing the stars in the sky and some trees blocking the view. These photos are terrifying to look at when you realise that the girls were potentially using the flash as the source, to, as a light source in order to guide their ways out of the forest, or that they may have been using it as a last desperate attempt at emergency communication. There's this uh, video game YouTuber uh, that played a horror game once that is literally, that is the premise pretty much. You've got a flash camera and you're exploring this old abandoned mansion and you can only see things every time the camera takes a photo. The rest of the game is in pitch black and it that experience, although it's a video game, is terrifying. So imagine that in a in a jungle if something's happened to you or someone's following you or... <sighs> or one of you's become stuck or there are animals, you know, jungle dogs chasing you. Terrifying. Yeah. And uh, it's one of those things where, especially if you're in pitch black, um, if you're taking a photo, it's, your eyes are just going to be dazzled as well. So it's mm. not, not going to be um, the most helpful. But I can understand it being, perhaps being used for emergency communication as well. Like we said, they're walking on some steep areas of, the, of this path and trail. So, you know, you have to be as careful as you can really then especially if it's a bit wet and stuff um so the photos have only added to the mystery of the case a lot of the photos show the presumed surrounding of the girls others show odd bits of tissue and other items such as the bottom of a pringles can some people said they could have been marking their own route with that so that they didn't get lost further or Mm. what's the term breadcrumbing breadcrumbing but isn't there a thing i can't remember we'll go with breadcrumbing sounds right the pictures are quite unclear and often show white orbs on the screen. Thanks to photos recovered later from a camera found in the same backpack, we know the women have made a fairly good time up to the Myrador, which is essentially the peak of the, of the summit. They are smiling and seem to be enjoying themselves in these images, and there's no indication of a third party being along with them. Some who have looked into the case do not even believe that it was the girls who were taking the photographs. There is one photo in particular, photo 580, that looks like the back of Chris's head, as you can see her strawberry blonde hair. However, others have stated that they believe this may have been the front of her face and that her hair is covering her. Did Chris bump her head, or did someone else take these photographs? Yeah, and that's the thing with this. So the the photos are all available uh, online. There have been some very sort of clickbaity thumbnails made of these photos with people trying to etch um, other people into the backgrounds or faces into the forest, which are, are terrifying. But yeah, from looking at these, it's either a case of if it is the girls taking these photos, they're trying to use it as a literally a way to see where they're going or they're trying to take markers so that they remember or make emergency attempts at communication. But yeah, there are some photos which appear to show Chris's head. I don't think you can quite see the blood, um, but it's like the type of photo you would take of your head if you wanted to see what's going on with your head, pretty much. Lisanne's Canon camera contained photos from the day of the hike that suggested that the women had taken a trail at the overlook of the continental drift and wandered into some wilderness hours before their first attempt at making emergency calls, but with no signs of anything unusual. On the 8th of April, which as we mentioned, this is where the the nighttime photos are taken and there are 90 flash photos taken between 1am and 4am which give the appearance that they are apparently deep in the jungle and in near complete darkness. A few photos show that they were possibly near a river or a ravine, and some show a twig with plastic bags on top of a rock. Another shows what looks like a backpack strap and a mirror on another rock. 
and another shows the back of Chris's head, as we mentioned. Picture 541 has raised a lot of speculation. The picture presumably shows what looks like an arm, as many have pointed out what seems to be an elbow within the photo. Yet just like all the other photos, this one is blurry and does not really tell us a lot about what was happening to the girls, or whoever was taking the photos, if the girls were even alive at this point. As well as this, we must remember that of these 100 photos, only just over half were ever released or made their way online to the public. That does not rule out potentially more than 100 additional photos that were taken, and if so, why did they stop taking them at 4.10am? Perhaps the camera ran out of battery, or maybe the memory card was full. Or, more gruesomely, perhaps there was no drive or need to take additional photos. Things become even more sinister when it is later discovered that a now infamous photo, dubbed as Photo 509, was deleted from the memory card of the camera. We know that this photo must have been taken during the course from the 1st of April through to the 8th of April, as this is where images 508 and 510 were taken. So, photo 509 was definitely taken. However, when this camera is later found, they can only find images 508 and 510. I believe if you delete it straight away, then take another one, it would save it as 509. But if you go back and delete one, it wouldn't adjust all the other numbers. Is that right? I think you are right. I think they were saying because they've used programs after on the SD cards and they weren't able to recover the photo, which um, then led them to believe that the photo is actually deleted on a computer rather than on the camera. So that's the big thing here because, yeah, I mean, it's that makes it even more mysterious because if it was a case of someone just deleted the photo, yeah, perhaps if someone else was taking photos, they didn't want to be in it or be... Um, you know, in the photo themselves, but it's not. If it's, if the, that SD card has been taken away somewhere else, been used, deleted. Um, so that's the curious thing here. The bit I'm trying to figure out, and I'm, I'm a bit confused with looking at it because it's saying like this could have been taken the, um, the 1st of April 2014 and the 8th of April. So I'm just thinking that if it, if, um, if tour guide F went, um, into the room with the SD card it was over 30 minutes. He could have been spending that time deleting. Yeah. Perhaps deleting the photo. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a curious one because I mean, there's so many photos on there and only one being deleted. Yeah. So if, if the killer, for example, if they were killed, sorry, for example, and if the killer then went through the effort of, literally reviewing all of the photos on this camera before realizing mm. there's one particular one that is incriminating. Would the, the same thing not have happened if they pulled the SD card out and the batteries and threw the camera in the river or something like that? Would that not? Yeah. It w I mean, yeah, that's mm. the thing like as well. And people have said, we're, we're going to get onto the backpack and what was found. Yeah. But um, it's, it's yeah, a surprise. It's really bizarre, isn't it? A lot of things weren't taken. Yeah. Just scrolling through all the photos now. It's terrifying. Yeah. So there are some probable reasons why this photo may have never been available to those who analyzed the camera. It may never have existed. If there was a camera malfunction, the camera may have never recorded image 509. However, this is quite unlikely due to its recording of the other 100 photos within such a short span of time. There's another theory that the photo was deleted, and it is widely believed that the photo was erased using a computer, as I mentioned, rather than on the camera itself. 
for a complete erasure of this photo to be possible, either it was never taken and there was a camera malfunction or it was deleted via a computer. If this is true, then it opens up even more questions and possibilities within the case. Who had access to a computer within the rainforest? Where were the girls at the time? And why was this photo in particular being deleted? And the, my question is, it opens up the idea of the SIM card was taken away and brought back. Um, yeah. That's another option as well. On the 11th of April 2014, on this day, the last attempts to turn the iPhone on were made. Presumably, the iPhone ran out of battery, but it was not turned on ever again by the girls or whoever had the phones. Two days later, the search and rescue team would halt their active search of the rainforest. And at the end of the month, the reward money for the girls' safe return would be upped by the families to $30,000. On the 16th of May 2014, so this is a, a, a crucial day of the case, two skeletons are thought to have been found in an area known as the Calibre. It would later become known that this is presumed to be the area where the girls were thought to have taken the photographs in, but at this moment in time, the photographs remain undiscovered. So yeah, we've obviously talked a lot about all these different photos being taken and what they showed and and all the kind of mystery and intrigue around them, but at this point in the timeline, the, the, the backpack and the camera have not been found. At this point, it had been rumoured around the town that two skeletons had been found, but a later search of that area in particular did not find anything conclusive or, in fact, any skeletons. The 19th of May 2014. There's a change in the head of the police search for the missing girls. The new head is a criminal specialist named Betsida Pitti. People now presume that there has been foul play which has led to the girls' fate. On the 27th of May 2014, sniffer dogs are brought in and they spend nine days sniffing, but once again, this leads to nothing. And these sniffer dogs, by the way, um, they've been able to trace people who are deep underwater, um, which I think is absolutely... I always like can never believe the capabilities of dogs, but sniffer dogs are able to find people that are underwater and they're not able to find the girls. Um, the 14th of June 2014, Chris and Lazanne's blue Lycra Burton brand backpack is found. The backpack is found by a local woman who also happens to be associate of tour guide F. It is found near a riverbank months after the initial disappearance and despite being near a riverbank and in the rainforest for months, it is in very good condition. Yeah, the condition of the bag is it's, it's dry. Uh, inside there are two pairs of sunglasses, $83 in cash, Froon's passport, a water bottle, Froon's camera, two bras and the woman's phones. This is when investigators discover the emergency calls and the photographs that were taken. So yeah, this is two and a half months after they've initially disappeared. Mm. And it's in fairly pristine condition, this backpack. Yeah. In an area that is prone to flash flooding and mud and animals and all of the other elements, it's, I don't know. Yeah. And when the bag is found, it's kind of under a bit of a, bit of a branch. Um, and it's, it's one of those where you have to, you'd question why someone would look under there. Mm -hmm. Because if you're thinking, you're looking, if you're looking for, evidence of um, you know, someone going missing or any of their personal items, you're not thinking they're going to be tucked underneath of where it is. And the person finding it being uh, an associate of Tour Guide F is very peculiar within itself as well. The discovery of the backpack led to more searches of the nearby Calubra River. One of these searches found a pair of Chris's denim shorts. Sources online dispute how the shorts were found, but it seems that they were found on top of a rock within the area where the backpack was also found. So other people said that it was found actually in the river floating. So it's very different uh, testimonies there. Uh, upon investigating the contents of both cellular devices and Froon's camera, it was discovered that 77 attempted calls were placed to the emergency services, but none of them went through due to the lack of service in the area. 77 attempts. Yeah. 
A photo was taken around the time they entered the forest near a trail at the Overlook at the Continental Divide. This led authorities to believe the girls potentially fell off a cliff when heavy rain moved into the area. On the 19th of June 2014, on this day, arguably the most important turn in the case happens. The remains that would later be confirmed to be the girls are found by tour guide F. He finds these remains under a tree in a rainforest. The first of these remains is a foot that belongs to Lisanne Froon. The foot is still inside the shoe, which can happen because of the tightness of the boot. The bones were found much further within the rainforest than it was presumed the girls had travelled. The bones were found after a 14-hour trek into the rainforest. However, these routes were commonly used by locals, and so the cries of the presumed stressed girls should have been heard if they did ever make it this far into the forest. If the girls did not make it this deep into the forest, then there have also been theories that the bones may have been carried downstream by the river. However, the bones, as we will go on to discuss, had no marks on them and therefore could not have been in the river and travelled for some distance without hitting a rock or something that would have caused visible markings. Furthermore, bones are too dense to float and so most likely, if they had been in the river, they would have sunk. The bones were also found scattered, as criminologist Octavio Calderon said, Two bones from different parts of the body, from two people, never end up together on a sandbar. This shows that someone placed them there. There is no other reason. The bones from the girls had different decomposition levels. Chris's bones were at the fourth stage of decomposition, whereas Lisanne had only reached the second stage. Lisanne's bones still had pieces of flesh intact. So this again kind of pushes the theory that maybe Chris encountered trouble or had an mm. accident or some sort of fall beforehand and Lisanne was then trying to access her phone or make these emergency calls or was lost in the, in the wilderness and darkness on her own. Uh, so yeah, so the, I mean, there are different stages of decomposition, different body parts. Mm. Some people allege they've been placed there. Others believe that they've been yeah, pushed. Yeah, but the bones been dotted all over the place. For me, is that looks like that feels like it's been placed. And I also think it just looks like they kept someone alive for longer, doesn't it? Which yes. is horrible. And the, the flesh being found on the bone is just it's absolutely yeah. Well, that was what I was going to say. The fact that the bones were found sort of scattered almost kind of could point to maybe wildlife but then the fact mm. that there is still flesh on the bones you would think in a, a densely populated area where there is lots of wildlife there would not be any flesh left yeah which is a grim thought half a pelvic bone that belongs to chris as well as other bones that belong to both girls are found the bones are taken for forensic testing where it is found quote there are no discernible scratches of any kind on the bones, neither of natural nor cultural origin. There are no marks on the bones at all. So again, yeah, some people were pointing to different local indigenous tribes in the area that lived in the rainforest, but this also ruled out not only their involvement, but uh, rules out the possibilities of animals uh, gnawing at the bones. It has also been suggested by many that the bones have been bleached. Traces of phosphorus was found on Chris's remains, and tests conducted on the soil in the area where the bones were found presented no traces of phosphorus. The Cherokee Institute of Legal Medicine and Forensic Sciences found it was more likely lime that had been used in the dismantling of Chris's body. Um, so there's lots that have been made out about the body and how they are found, and saying if the, if the bones were on the floor for long enough, they would have discoloured a lot more with the soil, because uh, bone can be quite absorbent, but also in terms of the um, the sun bleaching it, it didn't feel like it was out there long enough for the sun to be bleaching it. Um, but yes, uh, we know that obviously in other cases we covered that lime has been used in dismantling bodies before. So that sounds fairly likely uh, there. An autopsy report conducted in September found that 
In turn, they all had a white coloration which tells us about two facts, that they were exposed to the sun for a long time, or that the burial site corresponded to an area of very basic chemical elements, affecting the phosphates and the calcium carbonates of each of the bone components, causing the whitish coloration. So this keeps in line with Bezadia Pithy's findings. The girls got lost, ended up coming into distress, and subsequently died from their injuries. Which I think is a bit of a... Mm. So the yeah, so this was very much uh, the official Panamanian stance on events. They went hiking, were perhaps out of their depth slightly, came into distress or some sort of accident, and then obviously died as a result of their injuries. But for both of them to suddenly experience fatal injuries, mm. I don't know. The other thing to note here is obviously... Tour, tourism there is an, an earner for the, yes. for the community so that's surely i mean even though it shouldn't be um but that's in the back of the mind thinking if something has you know happened to the people if if the, what happened to the girls had been done by a local they don't want the bad press to go around all around the world and people to be put off traveling to that area so that's also got to be looked into it as well yeah we covered a very similar case pro- over two years ago now over on icmap.co.uk which was the kotal british backpacker murders and i mm. swear that their narrative again although there was clearly a, a brutal brutal murder that took place on the island They were very keen to protect the island's image uh, in terms of tourism. In July of 2014, more bones belonging to the girls were found and taken for testing. It wasn't only the girls' bones that were found within this area. Whilst searching for the girls' remains, authorities also found the remains of three others. So again, these remains, as well as the remains of three others that they have found, are analysed by forensic anthropologists and uh, heavily looked into. And it's, it's said again that there are no scratches on the bones, any kind of uh, natural or cultural um, marks on the bones either. So, so the bodies had a very natural decomposition and they were found near a river, which caused the bones, which are heavier than water, to sink to the bottom of the river. Markings on the bones should have been visible from friction, with the waterbed. One bone fragment attributed to Chris Kremers involved a bleached half of her pelvis. Under natural decomposition, a pelvis, especially from a younger person, does not break in half. Furthermore, it is not likely to have been caused by predators. As well as this, the bone was missing joint tissue that remained intact for years under natural decomposition. Hmm. It is a a chin scratcher, this one. It sure is. Yeah. On the 29th of August, the lower leg bones and more shockingly, a piece of rolled up skin were found. The skin belonged to Lizanne Froon. It was now five months since the girls had disappeared. Any skin by this point should have decomposed. A forensic expert identified that the skin would have covered a part of the leg. However, the skin was uneven and some parts even reached 8 to 15 centimetres. From this discovery, analysts could tell that the body or the skin was kept in a humid place, under a shadow as well as in low temperatures. A fragment of the skin was found in the banks of the Rio Caluba River. It could be attributed to Froon after forensic analysis. This was in an early state of decomposition, unlike the physical remains found of Kremers. So that really lends it to that Lazam was a lot longer alive than Chris, or was she kept alive, or mm-hmm. maybe um, uh, Chris did meet, uh, have a fatal fall, and then you know it doesn't mean one of them could have been killed naturally and the other one killed in a different way. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, just the I've never I've never really heard the phrase a piece of rolled up skin were found. That's a 
Yes, yeah, that's that's not very nice at all. In March of 2015, almost a year after the girls first went missing, the case is officially closed. The official story states that the girls got lost, then ended up falling and significantly injuring themselves and then consequently died from their injuries. Over the years, countless independent forensic experts studied the case and concluded that Chris Kremers fell off a, quote, monkey bridge during heavy rainfall and Lisanne took a picture of her body in order to record what happened to her friend. However, in February of 2017, another college grad student went missing on a trail just 30 miles from where Lisanne and Chris perished. Her body was found shortly after, and it was obvious that she had been brutalised and strangled with her own swimsuit to cover up. So a little bit more information on that. So basically, the very start of the timeline, we talked about Chris making a, uh, a diary entry that said, the island she was on uh, was a quote fairy tale island and it was the island 40 miles away from uh, this trail and on a beach known as red frog beach in 2017 an american backpacker called katherine johannan went missing and then three days later her body was found and it was proven that she was assaulted and then killed Panamanian authorities detained eight people in connection to her death, but no charges have been filed. The Federal Bureau of Investigation gave a press conference shortly after her disappearance that there might be a possible connection between the two cases, and it is possible that there might be a serial killer in the area. Which again, yeah, to go back to the the statistics we mentioned in in that area, there have been young girls and women um, since 2009. More than 50 females have gone missing in that particular 40-mile stretch. It's... Um, yeah, it's a really... I, do, I, I mean, here's the thing. I said at the start of the episode that there was one thing for me that points to human involvement, and that is I feel if there was an accident with one of them, or even both of them, but non-fatal, but severe, I feel that if it was me or many other people in that situation, if you knew that you were stuck, if you knew that there was some sort of end potentially coming your way why would they not have recorded some sort of goodbye video on their phones or a message or just anything leave any kind of clue as to what had happened to them like if there if it was some sort of if there was no foul play and they were left there one of them was injured surely you'd film a little video for your loved ones or i don't know yeah i think the bits that really kind of throw you around and make you think well, what happened is the backpack being found and the items being I mean it's strange that the, the items weren't stolen it's a bit odd because yeah. you would have thought if it was a gang and, and they're doing it for monetary value they'd have done that um, but yeah it's the photos that many photos the missing picture is interesting even I don't think a camera malfunctions doing making one thing disappear I think that's a very long winded idea that that, mm. could, that would happen Um we're going to go into a bit more information about tour guide f which really puts the um cat amongst the pigeons in terms of making him a possible suspect yeah. um and the taxi driver saying the wrong time as well yeah it's just also whilst doing the research for this there was a case of um someone going missing in those in that area and was actually discovered by a rescue team who then took the girl away themselves and kidnapped her oh god and held her hostage and she, luckily she managed to escape. They did hold her hostage and, and they raped her. She managed to escape by using a broken bottle on one of the nets, basically on one of the people that captured her. And then they had to take the person to medical care so quickly that she managed to escape during that point. But it just kind of also makes you think, you know, if the rescue teams, you know, even they have it within them to kidnap someone, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You That's really, terrifying. you know, you question like, you know, how safe you'd be in that, in that instance if you even if they were found. That's it. And th- those, I know I keep banging about banging on about these statistics but those 50 since 2009 those are only the ones that we're aware of yeah and if if panama not again to point any fingers because i don't want to be accused of anything here but if if there are incidents or pieces of news or missing persons that aren't disclosed and aren't don't become you know worldwide uh media events then yeah this is the ones that are kept quiet uh, yeah yeah definitely yeah i mean as i said before that there's a blanket over this which is tourism and you know i'm not saying that every country are not going to report things because of that mm-hmm. but yeah it's, it's something that needs to be considered as well but we're going to go into the aftermath now that was the the timeline uh, we're going to move into the aftermath now and talk about some of the suspects a little bit more and some of the theories a little bit more and see if we can uh, come to a conclusion between ourselves and also just yeah we want to hear from you guys as well what you guys think what you guys believe uh, yeah. We'll have the question on Spotify so you can fill us in with your answers on there. I think what we might do as well, it's not as easy to narrow it down to just two options here, but we did with the Making a Murder episode, uh, Innocent mm. or Guilty. So we might we might pop a few polls up over on Instagram or, or Facebook or, yeah. or whatever, so or Twitter or X, whatever it's called. So yeah, be sure to give us a follow on all the socials at Could Murder a Pod. Or threads. Which or threads, we, yeah. I did one post and then didn't do any more, but threads. <laughs> like most of the rest of the world by the sound of it. Ooh, for a shade of threads. Thread Dead Redemption. Let's bring it back. So anyway, we don't really know a lot about this case for definite. Uh, since the case gained global attention in 2014, people have still continued to speculate about what could have possibly happened to these girls. Uh, we will now talk about some of the most common suspects. So as mentioned, as I mentioned, the taxi driver who originally dropped the girls off at the, tra- at the trail often comes up under fire within the story. There are various reports that people saw two other Panamanian men sitting in the taxi that the girls were in. And in addition to this, his timeline does not follow the official timeline that we can presume to be most accurate due to the timestamps on the camera the girls have taken on their photos. So yeah, two other guys in the taxi. Um, it's not completely unheard of of taxi drivers in different countries occasionally being, you know, either kidnapping people for money or etc. etc. Again, I'm not throwing shade at all taxi drivers. Every No shade at Panama, no shade at taxi drivers. Just... But um, have, driving around a taxi with pals whilst you're working is a little bit odd however it is likely the taxi driver may have just got it wrong things do become odd though considering he was found dead a year later after he drowned he was found face down in a shallow puddle so that is a bit odd because that's a suspicious way of him being killed did he know something so one of the most talked about suspects is tour guide f and this is feliciana gonzalez of course he knew the jungle well he had a very unusual interest in the girls from the start and he was known as being strange towards single women so he he the girls did have a trip booked in with him for the following day and he was the one that also offered them uh, essentially accommodation at his place which again mm. for me that's mm, not sure about that but yeah, had a reputation for being very strange towards single women. We cannot forget that he did testify that he waited in the girl's room for 30 minutes unsupervised before he then alerted police of the girl's disappearance. And again, he was the one that also found the girl's bones 
deep in the rainforest. So yeah, very interesting individual. And he, of course, is the first one to come uh, to the girl's accommodation, to the girl's place of work, to the girl's place of study, and was very keen to sort of place himself, like many of the other cases we've covered, he wanted to place himself at the scene. On TripAdvisor, tour guide F is seen as an excellent tour guide. However, if you dig deeper, you'll find a review from someone named Sophie J, who commented, I strongly recommend women not to hire Feliciano as your guide if you're by yourself. It's a big contrast if you look at the other reviews, where Feliciano is described as a very nice person, which he probably is for many people. I have to say he's very charming, funny, and you can probably, as you will read in the other reviews, have a great day with him. I did a walking tour with him. He's the guy that knows the area by heart. Not long after we left, he subtly started to flirt with me and also touching me. First my hand, but also my arms, shoulder and legs even after telling him many times to stop doing that. He wears a big machete and suggested to chop off my legs. This is, of course, was a joke, but still. He has an obsession for North European women, and I felt very unsafe. So that's a big red flag right there. Obviously, the girls are from Northern Europe. Um, he he did, have a good re- he did have a good reputation in terms of big group tours, and, and, and lots of the, the positive reviews were all from men. And then uh, the single uh, woman who went on the tour with him, is, the story is very different. To, the thing I took most sinister there is the fact that he knew the jungle like the back of his hand or knew it by heart he could use that obviously to his advantage if he wanted to make someone uh, encounter a very difficult bit of terrain or if he wanted to get someone intentionally lost or if he wanted to hide something um, or keep someone somewhere for a period of time then all of those things if he knew it that well he could have done so a lot of questions to be asked why did Feliciano take such an interest in the girls before he even knew that they were missing why did he show up at their lodging and even use a key to get into their room after they failed to meet with him this does not seem like the typical actions of a tour guide who doesn't know anything about the tourists it seems very much that he showed much more concern than this type of incident would merit if he didn't know anything about their disappearance or was involved somehow so there are forums dedicated to this case there are internet communities that are still investigating the case there's loads on reddit about it but one but one almost constant is that of people believing that feliciana gonzalez had something to do with it so there are a couple more uh, comments that we're going to share with you now the guide is rumored to have hung out around places like the language school frequently in general to pick up new clients but there is conflicting information about whether or not the girls met with him personally or if the language school arranged a guided tour with him for them. Most information I found confirms that the girls did talk to him the day before they went for their ill-fated walk, and that he saw them lounging in a hammock at the school, but that the girls had declined his service offer to take them for the pianista walk with an overnight stay at his isolated ranch in the jungle. Wow, so there you go. I didn't. I knew that there was obviously the offer of free accommodation, but I did not know that his accommodation was in the jungle which again that may i mean that could just be completely natural and harmless and that's just where he lives you know he takes his work very very seriously and it's close to close to work for him as well but you can come and stay in my isolated ranch in the jungle i don't know Mm. guide f also helps looking for them during the next few days and eventually he finds the girl's bones remains overall just a few miles from his isolated ranch his son is also said to have a house not that far away in a jungle place called Alto Romero. As far as the public knows, sniffer dogs never made it to that ranch, and the place has also never been stripped and investigated by officials. I even heard and read, but no official confirmation of this, that the local native woman who found Chris and Lazan's backpack gave it first to him, before it was handed over to the police. Her husband had worked at F's ranch. 
yeah that's all a bit and obviously we're not we we don't want to point the complete spotlight at this guy there's a you know there's still a really good chance that he wasn't involved whatsoever but there are a lot of kind of circumstantial situations here that don't end up painting him in such a great light Authorities officially excluded Guide F, although for some people, that in itself also says nothing really, as his ranch was never forensically searched. And, people wonder, why was he in such a rush to go looking for the girls at the host's family's place, the moment they didn't show up for their appointment with him on the 2nd of April? So yeah, Feliciano seems to be very involved in the Bocchetti community. He seems to know everything about everyone's business. He obviously was very very much on the move uh, the moment the girls were reported missing, or even before they were reported missing, I should say. Um, and yeah, I didn't actually know that his, his, own, his home ranch was a, a sort of jungle, isolated jungle-based property. So that's a bit a bit strange um he has come out we did do some digging here to find this he has come out to defend himself um and since the disappearance of the girls he claimed in an interview with a dutch newspaper to have been regularly threatened uh with some of his accusers believing that feliciano was the one who eventually found the girls remains based on the fact that he was the one that killed them and knew where to look Many internet forum users did not stop other users of the forums from shutting down the theory that experts concluded a fatal accident must have taken place somewhere on Chris and Lissan's hike. Leaked information, such as the final photos taken by Chris and Lissan, were meticulously reviewed and discussed. Official conclusions by the government were questioned. Conspiracy theories took shape, and so are the many, many allegations against Feliciano. He said, I never met the girls, but they said I was the last to see them and some are sure that I killed them. I did not. Um, Feliciano also points very much to the fact that he was in hospital on the day that Chris and Lasanne went uh, went missing and claimed that even the fact that he was in hospital didn't stop the rumours from being spread about him. He said it didn't matter that he had been called in because there were suspicions that something might have been found along the Snake River. Just as little as Feliciano is simply a part of a small group, obviously a, a small group of tour guides, that can get around in the most inhospitable places in the Bucchetti area. He said, I just wanted to help, but since the disappearance, I've been threatened by social media. Sometimes people book a tour and send them a message just before it takes place. They say to me, I know what you've done. Tell me where the girls are. Recently, there was a gringo, a westerner in the village. He wanted to speak to me. He would then find out the truth. Feliciano wisely stayed away from the cafe where the man showed up. He said, I've become very careful. I also no longer read WhatsApp messages from foreign numbers. Perhaps someone within the police force had something to do with the missing girls. It is not unfair to say the police handled this case very poorly, as noted in La Estrella de Panama in regards to the bones and their findings. The document lacked a detailed description of the custody chain, necessary information in this type of cases. The information must include the place of the finding, the exact location, the picking of the remains, the packing and transfer from the scene. This wasn't the case. Betsaida Pitti was soon dismissed and replaced by Hernan Mora. Chris's family sued the Panamanian prosecutor's office for their poor handling of the case. It became known that the fingerprint findings were never revisited and with no information being made available to the public, the police may have never recovered vital information. It's also sadly not improbable that the girls may have crossed paths with a gang who ended up taking their lives. Gangs are not an uncommon occurrence within Panama, unfortunately, and it is a known method of theirs to dissolve bodies. They are known specifically to be in that area that the girls disappeared in. 
So that, in terms of the lime, adds up there. That's one you don't hear too many people talk about, to be honest, gang involvement. Mm. Um, because a lot of the, I mean, you would have thought they would have stolen and taken the, uh, the, the money. The goods, and the, yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. As well as all these different theories on potential suspects, some people do believe that Chris is still alive. And uh, it has been suggested that Chris may be potentially within the sex industry. Dick Steffens was a detective from Amsterdam who heavily believed this theory. The authors of the book Lost in the Jungle claimed a certain Stefan W came forward saying Chris Kremers had ended up in the sex trade, yet nothing ever came from this lead. A little further along in their research in, in preparing the book, they got in contact with Dick Steffens and he was still looking into the case from his own initiative and he said, What he told us blew us away. He said Chris Kremers is possibly still alive. West added, the man claimed he would never be able to free her, nothing came of it, and the family never heard from Stephen W ever again. So yeah, I think this, I, I think that's a, a much less prominent theory and understandable as to why that is. I, I don't think, based on the evidence that was found, the bones that were found, that the girls are still alive. Um, and, and again, this Stephen W going into hiding after making those sort of theories known to these authors and and this uh, dick mm. Stephens from amsterdam i think i don't know i think that's very much grasping at straws obviously with this episode we've condensed an unsolved case uh, that we could obviously go on to discuss for hours on end we do highly recommend the lost in panama podcast if you would like to dive into this case in in a bit of greater detail it's a seven parter and each episode is roughly 45 minutes and that that gives a much more in-depth overview of the case really good uh, I've said it several times to Tom, but it is heavily inspired by the Serial Podcast, which is also another really good podcast, but definitely worth a listen. Um, they actually retrace the last steps of the girls and go on the hike themselves, so it's very revealing about the nature of El Pianista. Um, and yeah, um, that was the case of the missing Dutch backpackers. What are we, where are we at for theories then? Or what do we believe? I believe... That the tour guide does definitely have something to do with it, personally. Uh, I think a combination of between him and that case I mentioned of the girl that was actually found by uh, the rescue team, taking them to somewhere in the forest. I think one of the girls may have actually come to harm naturally and like they were calling emergency services to try and try and help her. But um, then when they, when they were discovered, um, I think one of the girls was taken away. Um, Sam was taken away with this rescue party and kept there for a numerous amount of days and then eventually when they were finished doing horrible things they um, ended up doing the lime in the bath kind of to try and destroy the body yeah any theory at, the, at this point based on what is available to us is going to be a quite a grim theory I've, I think I agree with you I think the one thing that's really bothering me is the, the nighttime photos were they was that the girls taking photos? Were they using it to navigate? Were they using it to communicate? Was someone chasing them? Had one of them already been killed or fallen to their death or had so, some sort of accident? It's 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 a really hard one, but I do believe definitely, like Tom, there was human involvement of some form. I mean, the main theories are that there was a hiking accident, or they got lost, or there was criminal activity, or an animal attack which I don't believe for the bones to have been separated the way they were. I don't believe there was an animal attack or local involvement and local cover-up. And for me, yeah, that tour guide has got some mixed reputations 
uh, and some very bizarre behavior which doesn't help to paint him in the best light but it's a fascinating case it's um yeah it's a, a really interesting one and yeah i'd be very intrigued to know what what our audience feel happened there there we go with another mystery yeah, so yeah, that is the case of the Dutch backpackers. Do let us know if there's anything in any other theories you believe. Maybe um, you believe some parts of what we do, but there's other elements you think maybe we we weren't looking at as, as carefully, perhaps. But yeah, do let us know. We're always keen to hear from you guys. Um, it's a very fascinating one. It is very much a mystery. Um, and it's a sad thing that the families don't think we'll ever feel they'll get closure on it unless some new evidence does come to light. But by the sound of things, the evidence wasn't treated in the best way. And... Uh, we know, obviously, with, with bones being left out and um, if they were in the river or anything like that, evidence is very hard to come by. But yes, do let us know. Um, that is another case. And we'll be back next week with a brand new case. If you just cannot wait until next week, at the time of recording, we have 122 exclusive episodes available in video and audio format over on icmap.co.uk. The third episode of our side podcast, AI Corumba, uh, is live now as well. We got frozen and stranded on a uh, on a bloody ice cold mountaintop, like uh, like we're on the, a bottle of Coors Light. Um, as well as that, we also do monthly live streams, early access, and we have a private Discord over there. So any if you would like to support uh, the podcast, we'd really appreciate it. But even just listening and sharing uh, our episodes is hugely hugely uh, supportive, and we appreciate it so so much. Yes, thank you very much, guys. And please be sure if you are listening to us on Spotify or an, or, or an Apple, give us a little review. It helps more than you'll ever know. And we'll be back again next week with a brand new case. And until then, like we always say, we say this all the time: keep doing what you're doing, unless it's uh, playing around with the jungle dogs, because <laughs> they'll get you. Flirt with machete. Don't flirt with machetes, guys. Um, take an extra bottle of water. Don't let someone get in your head if you've got a segment and then someone else is in a similar segment and they win more points. Well, yeah, don't do that. See you later. Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> take care. Bye. I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk.